you're about to listen to Brittle Star's really great podcast. The really great podcast is fueled by our well-caffeinated friends at Club Coffee. It's a it's kind of a misnomer because there's no actual club to join. They just they make like they they make coffee. There's no club, so don't don't get your hopes up. They make delicious compostable coffee pods that you can find at retailers across Canada, like Loblaws, Amazon, and Costco. And they're Canadian too, eh? If you're not into coffee, sorry. Hey, it's Brittle Star here. Um, it was probably really loud when I said that. Let me try that again. Hey, it's Brittle Star here. Uh, thanks for joining us in the really great podcast, Brittle Star's really great podcast, which I maintain is an excellent name for a podcast. Because it feels like I've already delivered, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like, wow, this is great already. In fact, it's really great. I guess, I mean, sort of, that's the the impression you get when you hear the name. I could be setting people up for disappointment, though, when they actually start playing it. But how could I, though? Because we've had so many amazing guests, and we have so many more amazing guests to come up. And uh, each one of them has been a real delight and thrill for me to talk to. And uh, today is no exception. Um, but before I get to who we're talking to today in the conversation today... I wanted to just kind of touch base about how important communication is and free communication. And it's something that, you know, I've only learned recently. Like in, I've always been kind of, you know, like you'd watch Three's Company, or maybe I'm dating myself. If you're old enough, you watch Three's Company. If you're young and younger than that, Dawson's Creek. And if you're younger than that, uh, uh, something else. I can't. I can't think of a, a younger thing. Wizards of Waverly Place, maybe that's a good one. Um, but if you, uh, I used to watch those shows and uh, like Three's Company for me, and I'd be like, oh, man, if if Jack had just communicated with Larry, there wouldn't be this crazy, crazy mix-up." You know, like that's the miscommunication and bad communication or lack of communication is the crux of every. Well, not every, but almost, it seems like almost every plot, right? That's that the setup for conflict is that there's been a miscommunication or a lack of communication. So only recently, and in all seriousness, like in the past, like probably three years, it's dawned on me that, oh, that carries over to real life too. That doesn't just stop, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Roper from thinking that Jack is living in some sort of luxurious lust triangle. Um, but it's about real life. It's about, uh, it's about being open as much as you can. And it's about sharing and it's about just being forthcoming. I'm a big believer in now I am a big believer in kind of like, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's happening right now. And you know, that can apply to anything. It can apply to, you know, health. It can apply to, uh, relationships that it can apply to just how you're feeling in general. I mean, all that stuff, anything. It's good to sort of, if you can find people that you can trust to share with, because I understand you don't want to share that with anybody. You know, maybe you don't want to just like go blabbing it around for whatever reason. You want to be safe and you want to protect yourself. But at the same time, if you can find, you know, people you should be communicating with, whether that be family or friends or, or partners or whatever, you should be communicating. You should be talking to people. You should be telling them what's going on. Uh, I've noticed that, you know, recently with, uh, I don't think that my mom and dad would mention, would mind me saying this, but my, you know, my dad's got Parkinson's and 
dealing with Parkinson's-related dementia, and my mom is his 24-7 caregiver. So we've just kind of gotten to a place now where we can talk about that. We can actually just sort of talk bluntly about that. And that's pretty amazing. I think that's, I mean, it's, well, first of all, it's a time saver. No one's kind of guessing at what is going on. Everyone's just like, here's what's happening. And it doesn't matter how gross it is or how, you know, unpleasant it is. It's like, this is what's happening. And then everyone's on the same page and then everyone can kind of, you know, because we all care about each other, we can actually just work together to make things better or slightly easier or to help solve things. And it's just, it's been so eye-opening to me to get to that point, right down to even, you know, talking freely like my, my, I would never, I still hardly ever swear around my mom and dad, but my mom started to swear quite a bit, <laughs> which is fine, which is great. Whatever, whatever you need to do to communicate your point effectively and succinctly and, uh, and, to, and, and emotionally unburden yourself, hey, I'm all for it. Just go, just fucking get to it. Whatever you need to do, that's important. Um, but on to more fun things. And we'll kind of touch back on this topic actually in the conversation, but uh, on to really fun things. I'm absolutely thrilled to have this week's guests, uh, and that's right, guests, two people, um, because they're legends. They're absolute legends, and I'm not sure exactly why they agreed to do this podcast. It was obviously, I mean, it's nice. I'm catching them on the way down. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's they're on their way up and they wouldn't talk to me probably wisely. And now that they're on their way down, maybe, maybe they will. No, I'm just kidding. They're not on their way down. Of course, they're absolute icons. They're never coming down. They're in the stratosphere. Uh, but today we're talking to. I am Deborah McGrath. Um, I am an actor, a writer, a producer, um, and I'm married to this gentleman over here. I'm Colin Mockery. I'm Deb um, McGrath's husband. Uh, I'm. Uh, made, I guess, known for uh, making a living making up crap and not in a political sense, (laughs) just uh, making stuff up. I've made a living at a job that didn't exist when I was growing up. Yeah, don't ask me how, it's all luck. Timing. That's what it was, timing. (laughs) That was good. It was funny. The last thing was timing. That's how we met. We met improvising. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Deb hired I me hired for him. Second City. Oh, was that right? See, I thought you were just referring <laughs> to like life and living, like improvising. We had no idea what we were doing. We just talked. Exactly. And then we ended up married. Yes. Yeah. Uh, didn't want to end the scene. It, but it was a yes and all the way. <laughs> no, I was uh, on main stage at Second City, and then I left, and they always ask an alum to direct the touring company. Right. On their spare time. So he auditioned for the touring company. As he always says, it was a grueling audition. Yeah, oh. it was a grueling audition. And, you know, you start off with, you know, 40 people, and then they willow it down to 20, and then there was, I think, four left. And then Deb came up at the end and said, it was between you and the cute guy, and you got it. <laughs> I wish that weren't true. <laughs> I wish it wasn't so, true either, but it's so a good... I wish it wasn't true. Because he never brings it up at all. Oh, can I say about First time he's up? ever told that story. <laughs> oh. What? Also, you? never say that your wife's bangs are severe, because that also will come back to haunt you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, I had the Betty Page bangs. Anyway. At the time, you did? Really? So, anyway. 
Well, that's nice. That's Not at the time. No. no. No, no. I would never do that at an audition. <laughs> say, no, excuse exactly. me. <laughs> if there's money on Before the Before the audition starts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I just want to tell you, your bangs are severe. <laughs> All right. So can I have a suggestion? <laughs> Of another type of bangs. <laughs> Off to the side, maybe. Hand shared. So have you, uh, one of the things I've really, really interesting about yourselves, and I, when I was talking to uh, to Brent Budd and Nancy Robertson as well, is this notion of uh, married couples who are both in the same industry. Now, it's not the same for, for myself and Shannon. I mean, Shannon has no interest in being part of this charade at all. She just thinks it's all horrible, and she does it because it pays the mortgage. <laughs> That's all she she's really involved with. Um, but you guys are both performers and artists and writers and all that kind of stuff, and uh, the same with Brent and Nancy. And it's it's also a really Canadian thing, which is I find kind of weird, because I was trying to think of a, like non-Canadian married entertainment couples. Like I think of like Steve... Stephen Edie Gourmet. Uh, is there their link? It's Gourmet? What's the last Love name? Stephen Edie. Stephen Edie. What was the last name? Steve yep. Lawrence and Edie yeah. Gourmet. Yeah. Steve Lawrence and um, Edie Gourmet. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, George uh, Burns and Gracie. But I mean, that's, yeah, Gracie. that's that's going back yeah. a long time. But apart from that, you've. Ricky and Lucy. Oh, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Just. Well, <laughs> Well, that one didn't. Yeah, last. we'll just cut that whole thing out. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but do you guys find it easy to work together? Like, do you find have you are you generally supportive, or are you sort of competitive, or are you do you push each other, or or what? I'd say zero competitive. Mm-hmm. I think we're each other's biggest fans. We're extremely happy when the other person gets a gig, um, and uh, we enjoy working together immensely. We have lots of laughs when we go on the road to do our show together. It's fun. And talk about a trust situation Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. you're improvisers. But, yeah, we celebrate each other's successes. Yeah. Yeah, I'll add on on to that. I'm not the conversationalist in the couple. Uh, Deb's the one who keeps the conversations going. I just keep it. uh, I'm the convo beard. I'm the Gary Cooper of how uh, old is your audience, by the way? Because a lot of my references... (laughs) <laughs> Need a warning. I think I'm them. number one in the LTC uh, system, so it's great. It's it's all the long term kit. Yeah, it'll work out perfect. It'll be fine. Yeah, we've all uh, yeah we've always been very supportive. And Deb, um, when things started happening for me with Who's Line, Deb actually said, "You know what? I'm going to just take a step back and just concentrate on raising our daughter." which um, I thought was uh, amazing because I cannot say without clarity and and sincerity that I would have done the same thing. I I disagree. I think you would have. But we... I would have complained all the time. You know, when I married uh, Colin, when I married Colin, I had the successful career and we were in Los Angeles from a show I had created. Right. And uh, he was an improviser, so I thought, well, I'm carrying this, clearly. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Maybe write something but down. But then yeah. the world switched, and um, and I found that I loved devoting a lot of my time to our daughter. I I I loved it more than I loved the acting at that point. It's not. I mean, you don't really get in life, right? You don't really get a choice sometimes as to when these things happen. I know that uh, when we started doing stuff. Uh, you know, Shannon had trained to be a teacher, and I was just some uh, flunky who worked in Virgin Records and in Glasgow. And then uh, it was like, okay, well, now as we move forward, it was like we got into a business together. And then moving forward to that, we came and made these videos. 
And it just, it's opportunity sort of arises and you kind of run with it. I think as a good team, I think it's a good sign of a good marriage is you have to be a bit of a team and be like, well, it's my turn to carry the load and that's fine. And I'm, I'm willing to do that. Yeah. Uh, and now with whose line, I have to say, just thinking back to Virgin Records when I worked there. So Shannon and I lived in Scotland. Shannon grew up in Scotland well, in high school. Uh, but the time we spent in uh, Glasgow watching television on the four channels that we got, yeah. uh, it was whose line was very popular. And uh, it was uh, incredibly popular. And it was always a point of pride to sort of point out the fact that that you were Canadian. And, and it was obviously a big part of the mm. shtick as well. I mean, was it odd sort of being, I always sort of think to myself, it'd be really sweet to be in, uh, to, <laughs> to be either the Colin Mockery of entertainment in the UK or the, or the more masculine Ruby Wax of the entertainment? Is it basically? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, um, I mean, whose line was incredibly uh, fortunate <laughs> for uh-huh. me that uh, not only did I get a chance to do the one thing I'm good at, but um, I had multiple chances because my first show didn't go well. Um, and only because they decided to shoot some in um, New York. Okay. And they wanted Amer- America. And Ryan was a part of it at that point. He said, give Colin another chance. And they put me with Ryan, who I'd worked with you know, for 10, 15 years before that. And so immediately was relaxed and it went well. So... I had so many chances to screw that up, and I, I was very fortunate that that didn't happen. And it was like a, it was like going to some sort of fantasy camp. Mm-hmm. We would go over to uh, Britain for six weeks. Every year, they'd call up and say, "We have more money for you." Right. And I thought <laughs> this, that was my first big showbiz experience. I thought, "Oh, I don't really see why people complain about showbiz. This is pretty cool. Seems <laughs> pretty easy." Yeah, so we would go over to London for six weeks. We'd work on the weekends. We had the rest of the week to do find something to do in London or Europe. <laughs> and the per diem was insane. It was like, okay. <laughs> and then I'd come back to Canada where nothing was happening. Yeah, those summer weeks were, were special. Yeah, they really were, especially with your per diem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I find it really interesting. Advantage. It's like, you know, it, it, having, because you both with Second City, I mean, it's not necessarily improv all the time. It's sort of, but at the same time, it's largely improvised comedy that's happening. And um, to find a career doing that, I mean, you know, I have a friend yeah. who has said he wanted to be a poet and then he just left, but then just became a poet. So he didn't learn any lessons <laughs> at all. He was like, well, that's just it. And I mean, it's much the same for you now. Our daughter, when she was like 10, she wanted to be a surrealist. Every parent's dream. (laughs) Yeah. And when we were in Paris, she bought this really heavy book of Magritte's. And every picture we took of her, she'd turn the book around with his picture on the back and put it where her face was. (laughs) Wow. I mean, it's not really, you can't really plan a pension on that. But no, no, you can't really plan much except getting paid in dolphin dollars or something. (laughs) I don't know what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Cubism coin. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Melty clocks, that kind of thing. It's all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So with, you know, working together and being, you know, your show getting along famously and all that kind of stuff, I'm still fascinated. I'll, I'll probably sort of circle back a little bit to the marriage thing because I really am interested in uh, just because entertainment's so horrible. Have you had sort of like 
experiences. It just really is. It really, it's really terrible. I mean, my experience in entertainment, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, terrible. Yeah. My experience in, yeah, in yeah. the entertainment industry has been largely social media based and uh, it's comfy. I mean, this past year I've done, you know, whatever I want. That's basically it. That's kind of the, the yeah. rules. But yeah. in the actual entertainment industry, there's, uh, there's, it's much more cutthroat in a sense, I think. Oh. Have you? I mean, have, all the have, stories are true, right? And, and have you sort of? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> What's going on here? It's a bit of a cakewalk for you. You know, the business <laughs> of show is is just shameless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on a lot of levels. Sure. Not every experience. No, no. But the things people say to you and do to you, or the things you hear them say about other talented people. And I always think the irony is, when it's on the production end, is that you would not have a job if it weren't for the artists. Right, yes. And yet the artists are generally the people that are treated like crap. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that the writer is the low person on, Mm -hmm. on the totem pole Have we learned nothing when we recycle old stuff over and over again? And the writer is the last in the credits, the least respected. What would you be doing, pray, if you didn't have a writer? Well, let me answer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My entire career is based on not having a writer. (laughs) But even as you were saying earlier, Second City, it is all improvised. We never sat down and wrote anything. You take an idea out. You do it night after night in the improv set. Mm -hmm. Then you hone it. Then your director goes, cut that whole section out, blah, blah, blah. And you form it. Um, I mean, sketch shows are different. They, yeah. they write. Oh, but writing is like things like Ted Lasso or the shows that are, uh, you know, uh, Breaking Bad. All the classic shows have incredibly strong uh, writing. Yeah. And uh, going back to showbiz is horrible. I, um, the first year of the American Who's Line, they have the upfronts where everybody goes mm-hmm. to Pasadena and all of the new shows are there and they're trotted out in the, in the talent. So um, we were there and I saw the producer of Who's Line, Dan, Dan Patterson. So I walked up to say hi, he comes over, he says hi. And everybody has a, like a handler to make sure you don't wander too far away from <laughs> the press or something. Because and actors are idiots. Yeah, so, so this handler kind of leans over to Dan and I'm standing right beside him and she goes, is this guy important? <laughs> and I thought, oh. Wait, your handler said that or his handler said Maybe. that? His, his handler. handler, right. And I'm I'm here <laughs> and he's going, is this guy important? Like I'm a speck. And it's like, um, I'm going to be on television next month. <laughs> And who are you? <laughs> well, that's always the thing. And who exactly are you? I think it really helped also for me personally. It happened later in life, any success I had. Right. Because, you know, I've, I've seen um, younger people get their heads turned because you go from kind of nothing to all of a sudden everybody wants to do something for you and everyone wants a part of you. I've never had that. Even with the success, mm-hmm. nobody wants a part of me. <laughs> So you learn to just sort of. I do. Yeah, I know. You're the, and you're the reason I keep going. Um, yeah. So I, I've been very fortunate. I think we're both very fortunate in that we kind of walked into showbiz with open eyes. Uh, we see the great stuff of it, but we also see 
the the underbelly of you know the uh, misogyny, the homophobia. Although it's much better, yeah, it's much it's better, better, but it's for not BIPOC and yeah. and queer folk. It's not yeah an inch better. Right. Yeah. It's no, the best friend, it's ever been, which is a local. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But it yeah. is the best it's ever been, and. After Black Lives Matter, after everything sort of exploded, I, I started to see changes in the business and on commercials and on magazines. And I thought, how fast is the clock ticking on this? Mm-hmm. And I said to Colin just recently, I'm so happy to see mm-hmm. it's still happening. Mm-hmm. It is a real solid change. Certainly the first one I've seen in my life Um and it's it's encouraging. It's very encouraging. The hard work is being done. People are learning. People are listening. And I, I, I think it's exciting in that regard. I really do. Do you guys ever find, you know, when you're writing something or, or even just coming up with ideas that uh, in light of that sort of general movement forward, you kind of go, hmm, that would have worked before, but I don't think it feels right to do that anymore. Do you sort of find yourself editing oh. yourself all the time now? For better, I would think. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you can only imagine when our daughter came out as trans, all the old Second City scenes that started going in our heads at three a.m. Yeah, and and the stuff that we didn't think twice Mm-mm. about. Tell that that story about that gentleman. In the improv troupe, I, I think it's it's key. That's thank story. you, Deb. I will. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Colin. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so when Kinley came out, um, I posted with her permission on uh, the internet, mm-hmm. uh, and then I got uh, through Facebook um, an email from this trans man who runs a um, LGBTQ plus um, improv mm-hmm. uh, troupe. And he said, um, I, I saw your post about your daughter. Uh, congratulations. I think it's so great that you are supportive. Can I just ask you next time you're doing Who's Lying, just to keep an eye out for the homophobic and transphobic stuff you do. Right. Um, and I went, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I said, oh, absolutely. And please... Um, if you, I, I will certainly, you know, go above and beyond to do that. And if you ever see any sort of fallback, please get back in touch with me. And do you mind if I share this with other improv uh, troops? And he said, absolutely. So it opened up this discussion with all these improv troops who were kind of heading that way anyway, mm-hmm. of making it more inclusive. And um, I mean... When we did it, this is not an excuse. When we did it in the past, it was truly out of ignorance. Mm-hmm. There was never, you never thought, oh, this hurts someone. This was usually, I'm dying here. I got to find a way to get a laugh. Right. And then as time goes on, you go, oh, with that joke, I just, um, I just insulted a whole section of the population. Mm-hmm. Whether they're in front of you or not. Uh, can you open yeah. the door? Sorry. Deb will take care of the rest of the story. <laughs> uh, our dog is insane. We've got two dogs who are wanting out. And now they'll bark and we'll have to let them back in. Um, sorry, dear. I That's just couldn't right. get by you there. No, I understand. 
I understand. That's all I had for that story. Yeah, no, oh, but, it's, uh, <laughs> but it's true, and it, it changes you. And I know I have people in my family who are definitely the anti-political correct right. people. Yeah. They despise everything about it. And my point to one of these people is always, if your effort is saving the feelings of one person, then it shouldn't be an effort at all. Mm -hmm. It should be something we all strive to do because, wow, we were doing the pronoun shuffle when she came here. Right, right. I mean, not sure. understanding what some things meant. And, uh, you know, I can remember one full weekend discussion between gender fluid, gender queer. Oh, my goodness. But it's not just because we have a trans uh, daughter, but because I think we finally realize that it's, it's incumbent upon us to shut up and listen and learn mm -hmm. and change it mm -hmm. and be an active ally, mm -hmm. not just someone who, well, I'm not a racist. Well, then forward that. Right. Speak up. Move forward. You know. I think it speaks volumes as well about how, uh, you know, I, I remember that all happening and... Um, so a little bit, I didn't see, obviously didn't see as much pushback as you guys got on social, but at the same time, I thought one of the important things that was happening was that you were, and this is the kind of role I feel I occupy as well, to, to a, in a different, much different way, but same general idea about being sort of white, middle-aged and being, yeah, this is what, this is, this is what's happening. And you know what? I still get to enjoy drinking beer. It doesn't matter. It does. It's yeah, you know, yeah, I, exactly. I can be supportive, and it doesn't actually take anything away from me to be supportive either. And that's uh, that's an important point because people there seems to be this feeling that if this if these people are made equal, then we lose something. Yeah, yeah that's the main. It's like well, no, we kind of all gain something, don't we? Yeah. We should be in Star Trek first season by now. I know where everyone gets along. There's no money in the world. Uh, <sighs> I'm yeah. disappointed. I know. <laughs> See, writers came up with that. Yeah. Exactly. Thanks, writers. <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure that the the uh, listeners know as well that when when Deb was talking about uh, the importance of writers and the uh, how horrible show business was, that she leaned right into the camera, like really close. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. It's true. I hope nobody, so I just knows. Want you to... nobody listens to. <laughs> well, let's. No, you got it. You're safe. Don't worry. It's fine. But I've um, actually tried to examine that. How somebody can justify that the writer is lowly? It is. <laughs> She's so right back in the camera, listener. Right back in the it's, letter. <laughs> it's like a universe where Spock has a beard. It's. It's, it's just, I don't it's even just know like what that. it is. Oh. I, okay, people, people are stopping right now. They're Googling Spock. Who's, first of all, who's Spock? <laughs> you know, I wasn't oh, grasping dear. this emotionally, but now that you've said the Spock with the beard thing, I've got it now. I've locked you in. You got it? I've it's locked in. It's a world in. that we don't even get. Yeah. It's so true, though. I, I've had conversations recently with uh, talking to Jean Yoon and uh, super funny and very talented. And one of the things I asked her is, you know, I, I said to her, you know, be, the, for what I do with social media, and that's kind of how I've been doing this for the, for nine years now. Um, but I never aspired to be an actor. I never aspired to get into comedy or anything like that. And um, 
so I, the idea of auditioning is just like no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, surely you 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 would never entertain an audition now. I mean, that's why, and I feel the same about Gene as well. It's kind of like, you know what they're getting. Why would you ever have to audition again? Like you don't have to do any of that stuff at all, do you? Oh, sweet. sure. I just did uh, like four today. Yeah. Come on. I just did one. I'm shocked at that. They just don't treat the Canadian stars the way they should. <laughs> no, you know what? I actually look at it another way. I have a friend who's a very successful Canadian actor who turns things down sometimes if they don't get uh, um, an offer. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that the creative team has the right to see as much as they admire you as much has as much right to see what nuances you'll bring to mm. it i mean there are movie stars that that still audition mm-hmm. I, I think that's part of the process i also think it keeps your hand in i'm terrible at it which is why i have loved this period mm-hmm. of being able to do it in my own home. Mm-hmm. And my agent said, you're doing good auditions. Yes, I am because I'm not in the room panicking <laughs> and because I might be reading it. There might be a piece of paper on the wall. And if you give me the job, I'll learn it. But if I've got five auditions in a week at this stage of the game, then you're getting And you've half- been doing very well, i got to say. I've been doing very well because I'm not nervous sick. I'm not panic-stricken about the lines. But I think the audition process, recently I had a situation where I was offered something, mm-hmm. a really great part mm-hmm. on an ongoing Canadian show, got there and started to panic because they didn't audition me. You started, you started to panic when you got there? Why? Because I thought... How do I know what they want? Like, they know me, but I do different things. And I knew that it was on the page, Mm -hmm. but I just thought no one saw it. No producer went, that's the character. So I find I get just as nervous when I'm offered something. Right. Because I go, I hope this is what they want. Words coming out of my mouth, please, God. Yeah, absolutely. It's shocking to me. It's it's absolutely not shocking. I mean, you know, our youngest son, Gregor, when we got some success, there was, uh, he had management in, in LA and they would set him up on these self-tapes and then we'd go to the these auditions and stuff. And I always found it kind of like, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. I think there's a little bit of, I'll just write my own parts. I'll just I'll just become my own person. It's obviously a pretty luxurious way to, to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I that's one of the interesting things for me talking to people who are involved in traditional media and I'm... I'm air quoting that um, is that coming from social media, it's like there's, there's <laughs> that's part of the reason people hate people from social media. I think it's because there's this huge ego. The people like me for me. If you want to hire me for a commercial yeah. or something, you're getting me. That's who you're getting. Yeah, yeah. And I just can't yeah. imagine the auditioning. I mean, I admire it. And I think, you know, Jean said the same thing when I asked her about the auditions. And also, uh, Karen Robinson said the exact same thing. She was like, I love auditioning for things, I love just kind of trying on a character and, and doing all that kind of thing. And, and I still don't get it. And I think, I think it's a crime that any of you have to audition. Yeah, I don't mind auditioning. Yeah, only, please. Only because uh, people have this idea of who I am and what I can do. So right. um, I actually got a, a, a job um, like a few years back um, on a, a Canadian uh, TV show. Um, and when I was, after the first day, the woman I was acting with said, I was so frightened to work with you oh. because I thought you would just make up stuff all the time and not do the script. <laughs> I said, well, 
I was hired as an actor, and I feel it's my job to say the words of the writer and try to get those across, as opposed to all of a sudden just becoming a chicken and running off stage. <laughs> like your ego discover. was so huge. Your ego was so massive. Yeah. You're like, listen, yeah. I know what's on the page. I can make it better. I can make it better. Because yeah. we discover that people, if you're known for one thing, people have it in your, their head that that's all you can do. Right. Like he went to theater school. He wasn't improvising yeah. in theater school. Mm-hmm. You know, we both did the classics and mm-hmm. like we're actors. But if you're successful in a certain area, especially comedy, it's a hard sell for the other world mm-hmm. until you do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, I, I guess that's the difference between you know, uh, not the difference, but rather I think that's part of being an actor is that you are you know you're honoring the character by trying to f- see what you can bring to the character and bring it to life. Whereas opposed to me, I'm just like, it's just me. This is it. I'm a one trick pony. This is all you're going to get. Yeah. So when people hire yeah. me for yeah. what they Some think people, they're getting, that's what they get. So yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. there's people who can make a career doing that. They are yeah. like in, in, you know, in the forties and fifty or the thirties and forties, there were those character actors. They always, the guy who always played the fake character, the right. guy who was always the uptight character that, and they got a good living out of it. Now everybody wants different things. <laughs> I like how it turned into a bit of a supportive conversation from you there. Don't worry. Listen, a lot of people don't have talent like you. A lot of people have made a living. They've got this. Exactly. You just need that one character, and you'll take off with it. As soon as I find it, I'll be set. It'll be great. And that's what you know? Ricky Gervais knows. What? He's smart. Yeah. I also think with him, it's out of fear. I think yeah. he couldn't stand to fail. Oh, absolutely. And I think he knew. Yeah. And I get that. I yeah. get that. You think Chewbacca stays up nights wondering, <laughs> should I be doing yeah. a musical? <laughs> they hired Chewie, God's sakes. It's me, Chewie. <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> it's like, like him and Jack Nicholson. This is what you knew what you were getting into. This is it. That's my range. <laughs> That's my range. <laughs> oh, man. Colin had to act once with Goofy. The oh, Goofy. Oh. Um, uh, in a Disney thing yeah. with our daughter playing Colin as a kid. Can right. I also just clarify? Yeah. It was Space Goofy. It was Space oh, Goofy. Wow. Specifically Space Goofy. But what what killed us, because I, record- I was in the film too. It was a CBC Disney co-production that we shot in Disney World. Amazing. So Amazing. Our daughter was thrilled, as yeah. you can imagine. Because she was number two on the call sheet, so they just take her on rides, give the current twenty on, on Ms. Mockery and When Do You Need Us Back, and it was great for. Although, we would shoot, like you know, from twelve to oh, yeah. four in the morning, <gasps> and it was complete silence except for it's a small world playing at half speed. It's a small <laughs> creepiest <laughs> four hours of my life. <laughs> Oh, no, crazy. Um, I'm sorry, you were sorry. Yeah, I don't remember that. No, I do. What? Um, we're talking about the... Uh, goofy. Goofy. Acting with dancing. Goofy. And space goofy. goofy. Yeah, space, space Goofy. goofy. Yeah. So, I can't believe that story just left our head. <laughs> Maybe I could so do improv. They're in the spaceship. Exactly. <laughs> they're in the spaceship with Space Goofy, and I'm, I'm recording because it's Kidley and her father doing the film. And uh, so then... Colin turns to says, say something to Space Goofy, and of course... <laughs> They're not allowed to talk in the mask. Sure, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you know, have you done something like this before? 
Oh my god, it was hilarious. So for listeners at home, there's there's big goofy actions happening right now. Not but goofy. Then the director came, the director came and said, "Space Goofy, uh, I have a note for you." And Goofy quite tenderly put his hand, um, on, a- hand on his <laughs> chin, chin to listen and nodded as the director gave him direction. <laughs> And the fact that the director is so formally, pardon, uh, Space Goofy, can I have a moment of your time? <laughs> we were howling. And we didn't want to hurt uh, Goofy's feelings. SG's feelings, but it was hilarious. And even at the end, I, I you know, oh, well, that lovely meeting, you'll, you sort of, you know, you can't dare, you can't even do the, oh, God, it was funny. It was so funny. But then he started miming. He's like, you knew what you were getting. This is it. I didn't have to audition (laughs) for this part. (laughs) Exactly. It's funny because, you know, we, one of the first big things that we did was uh, a thing with Disneyland. um, And it was the very, it wasn't one of the first, it was the first thing we were ever paid to do for social, uh, to create some videos. It was for Disney parks in California. And we ended up doing this thing where I had to go down uh, there. We had to learn the choreography of this dance thing and then dance out of the castle with the characters uh, to a a thousand people that had arrived early and there were media and all that kind of stuff. And it was for this social media kickoff thing they were doing. And they got a bunch of schmoes to come down and and, uh, dance with the characters. (laughs) And I was one of those schmoes along with like Grumpy Cat and stuff like that. No joke. And uh, so we're doing our thing, but I I wasn't like an A lister. I was kind of like I was brought in as like they were they were concerned because I was Canadian, and so uh, they 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 billed me uh, <laughs> with everybody else except at the park. All the signs were up for Grumpy Cat and like for so and so and so and so, and then and then there's no sign for me, so I had to stand in the autograph thing, and there was nobody. Like they were like, "Who are you?" They're like, "Oh, I'm I'm Brittle Star. I'm the guy that danced out with Pluto." And that was the other thing. Is that I didn't I didn't get to dance with an A-list character. I got to dance with a dog. Yeah, uh, but I mean, at the same time, it was fine. But the thing is, you're right. They don't talk in those costumes, and they don't they 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 take them incredibly seriously. We were backstage oh, yeah. learning to dance with these people. I'm I'm assuming fully grown adults who are able to converse. <laughs> And we were yeah. backstage learning dances like idiots, eating burritos out of tinfoil. That that's all they gave us. And you think Disney would, you know, do something better? And then you're going to talk to these characters, and they're like, no, they just they just smile at you like idiots, and just no, no, can't talk, can't yeah. talk to you. You're like, yeah. how how much is that job paying? That's what I want to know. And yet they love it. Do they? They love it. How do you know that? We because we have gone. To Disney so many times, and Drew Carey They're always, always smiling. You know, he loved he loved the Disney World. No, when you get your private guide, which yeah. Drew would get us, every person who works in that park, it has been what they've grown up wanting to do. It's Stockholm syndrome, and you can yeah. exactly yeah, you can lose your job <laughs> if you're caught out of your world. <laughs> like if Space Goofy walks into the Wild West. Fired. That's it. That's it. it. You're over. Yeah. yeah. You're not allowed to be. You have to be in your own world. It's harsh, but you can see where they're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want the goofies from different timelines. No, Who knows what will happen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this scientific thing is, but no, it's but not yeah. good. It's a tear in reality. It would just be like worlds would start to oh, fall yeah. apart. Oh, yeah. It'd be yeah. terrible. And then there'd be multiple goofies. And then yeah, right. <laughs> None of whom speak. (laughs) 
when we did our first thing for them for Disney, they, we had to submit concepts for these videos we were doing. And one of the things was uh, I was coming up with these little ideas, and I said, "Well, my wife will p- play the princess," and they're like, "No, no, she won't." I was like, "Oh, well, how come?" She's like, "She's not a princess." And I was like, "How dare you!" How dare you? Like, no, no, <laughs> she's not one of the princesses. You couldn't be. So one of the departments no. we had to run stuff through was character. So we'd give these ideas, and then they would go through, like, legal and marketing and branding, and then character department would just go through it and make sure we weren't, like, kind of resembling Jack Sparrow or something or Mickey or something like that. Oh. Anyway, Shan has never – she's never gotten over that. She's pretty upset about that oh, still. No. So. You know what? She's a, she's a princess it. to us. No, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't um, Kevin Costner marry a Snow White? Maybe. Yeah, I think that's how he met her. I think his first wife was Snow White at Disney World. You said this was very conversational. <laughs> you didn't say what to say on any topic. You no, any topic you didn't is fine. Line in the no. sand. <laughs> Could go anywhere. Well, things might yeah, change for the next snow. episode, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> And now he married a Snow White. Like, just a, like, does he know who it was? Did she speak? Oh yeah, no, I. Think oh yeah, they, they went the princesses out after speak. After oh, the princesses speak. Right, right, exactly. But I imagine. Yeah, they don't have anything. Yeah, the covering. princesses. Yeah, right, it's their actual. When I was heads. Um, there, were there was a period yeah. in uh, my life when I was doing. This was right after. It was during Who's Line. I was a snack fairy, for Nabisco. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Nabisco, uh, yeah. Yeah. They sent me a tutu and said. It's, it's between you and Jeffrey Tambor. I thought, geez. Oh, that's right. No. Can't find no. another bald, bald guy. Yeah. Uh, and gee, Jeffrey isn't doing it? Well, yeah. I might as well. Yeah, I so, might as well, yeah. So I became the snack fairy for a while. Right. So I get a call from Medicine Avenue, and they say, every year we do a big parade oh, of no. all the advertising icons. Right. And this year, the snack fairy is an advertising icon, so we would like you to join, I thought, to come on the parade through New York. Right. I went, Sure. Sure. I, you know, because my costume basically was... Khakis. Yeah. Khakis, and a, a nice shirt, and a tutu, and a wand. And a yeah. wand. yeah. So, um, again, in a big warehouse, all of the different icons are there. There's Juan <laughs> Valdez and the double mint twins. And, again, we all have our handlers from the various agencies. Right, of course. And the first thing my guy says, no matter what, you cannot talk to the Keebler elves. And I said... What? And he said, they're a rival company. If there is a picture with you guys together, I can't promise what may happen. So I was like, I don't, okay. So um, so there was, you know, the Michelin man. There was Mr. Clean. Right. So we're heading to our double-decker buses where we, um, you know, are, are in the parade. On the way there, the Michelin man develops a leak in his costume oh. and starts to deflate Okay, the nozzle to reinflate. No. The worst possible place you could put it is where it was. Or, yes. That's not. So, that's, yes. So yeah. there's two guys down there in the streets of New York fiddling with the Michelin man <laughs> trying to reinflate him. I'm on the uh, top with Mr. Clean, the Yellow Pages, who uh, is a costume. And of course, because of the double-decker bus, when we come to lights, the handlers have to pull down the people with costumes so they don't get decapitated. Sure. They can't see the duck. Yeah. So we're driving along, and the New York people are out there just loving this. And I hear shouts of, hello, Mr. Clean. Hello, Yellow Pages. 
Hey, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> So I just thought, oh, that, that's a that's windmill. Me in a tutu. Yeah, yeah. a snack fairy, you bastard. <laughs> I'm a snack fairy, damn you. An advertising that icon. That was a sweet gig, though. I have to say, I'll always be grateful to the snack fairy. Yeah. I think it renovated this house. It did. <laughs> well, that's the dream, though, because you were this major advertising icon, but then you weren't uh, you weren't stuck in that position. The people still just saw you as you. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. that's great. So yeah. it's... Uh, Having like a really bad secret identity. <laughs> oh, didn't they keep yelling? Didn't they keep yelling? Uh, yellow pages down in front, down in front. Yeah. Oh God, I would have killed to be there. I don't know why I didn't go. It's so funny. Juan uh, Valdez was a big fan, also. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> did uh, did the elves make any attempts to talk to you? Did they like? Were they trying to? Well, the closest we came, we all got in the <laughs> elevator together. <laughs> And they just kept pointing at me and nodding. No. <laughs> so there were regular people, I guess, in there. You know, but the the head of the Keebler elf, I think, took up. It's giant. Yeah, right. the, most of their torso. Right. But, right. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. That's a big elevator. Oh, God. <laughs> it it was. Story. It was pretty crowded. Yeah. Oh, God. I love that they kept looking and pointing. And pointing. I was like, oh, just say something. So, <laughs> <laughs> on the Energizer I'm, Bunny. Oh, yeah, the Energizer He was bunny. like a method. He just kept pounding his drums <laughs> the entire day. <laughs> it's like, jeez. Like, Daniel Day-Lewis or something inside there. Just to, This is it. Oh, this is yeah, it. This you is my think moment. this could lead to something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I just, I'm so shocked that they didn't talk either because it wasn't like, these aren't Disney rules. They're allowed to talk. Or maybe they no. couldn't talk. Were yeah. they bound inside these things, like so that they couldn't mess it up? Uh, they may have had their tongues removed. Yeah. <laughs> I said at the beginning, it's a yeah, tough business. Yeah, Keeblers, they're a tough company. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to the Keebler elves. Listen, it's not for our safety, it's for yours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, I find it really fun talking to you. Uh, for people listening, I, I get to actually see uh, Dev and Colin when I'm talking. It's really, it's fun and exciting, but it also reminds me of something you did recently for friends of mine, for uh, Matt Clark and David Milchard for Convos with my two-year-old. Oh, and yeah. uh, you guys played Matt's uh, parents. Mm -hmm. that was um, so and it was fun. super exciting. And those guys are just so fantastic and just hilarious oh, and, yeah. and just funny in general. I think, you know. Yeah. And yeah. also they had pictures of us that could cause problems. So we thought, <laughs> right. let's just do this and let's then move it. on. Yeah, that's, no, Those that's... guys are so clever. It was really fun. That was a fun shoot. Have you done a lot of things sort of similar to that? So I mean, obviously it was all done remotely through the pandemic and stuff. Have you done a lot of stuff like that through the, throughout the pandemic? We did a couple of corporate yeah. shows, uh, improv shows, yeah. which is the best way to do a corporate. Is it? Yeah. You don't have to deal oh. with people. <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, they could be drunk, but you yeah. can't hear anything. So. You can't tell they're ignoring you. Right. It's like doing a, a, a corporate in space. Right. No one can yeah. hear you laugh. And it's, no, and I said to Colin, we go out there with our pajama bottoms on and a white shirt. Yeah. And we decide we're killing. Yeah. And, then they, and that's it. The, the team that hired you calls you to tell, oh, it was so funny. It's great. It's great. Oh, that's fantastic. We don't know if we're lying. 
it's yeah. I think yeah. I can see some of that stuff still carrying on and still doing it after the pandemic is is just a memory. Hopefully, I think it's a good way to yeah. do it. I know that I'm doing a, a, a hybrid event coming up at the end of the month, which I'm kind of concerned about. Cause it's going to be in the first first in-person thing I've done in a long time. Um, but it'll largely be, you know, online. But it's certainly over the pandemic, uh, you know, watching other comedians and stuff do uh, their shows. One thing I found really interesting was, I thought, who did I see? Rachel Paris and uh, Marcus Brigstock, two UK uh, comedians. And mm-hmm. they did this weekly show. And I thought, oh, I'll try a, a comedy show out and see how it is. And they were very, very funny. They are very, very great. But what I really appreciated was the fact that they didn't put any value, any real you know, money into the production of this at all. They used their laptop on a music stand, did the full show. And when oh, it was wow. time for the musical part, they just turned the music stand around to the piano. And that would be it. That would be the musical part of the piano. Wow. play the piano. It was great. But also weird energy, though. Like, isn't it a? Do you find it must be a big difference doing something live, especially you know doing comedy live and then doing it with nobody there to laugh? Is that difficult? Yeah. At the beginning, it was really weird. I mean, I think we <clears throat> at times overcompensate with the energy, just <laughs> right, right. Fill the room with something that's positive, yeah. right? Uh, Which isn't necessarily yeah. a bad thing because no. at least the show's got momentum. But it is weird. At the beginning, it was like, how do you time anything? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, uh, yeah, we did. I, I did a pilot, a Zoom pilot that was about being on Zoom, and I thought nobody's going to want to see this in three months. And then, of course, here we are, fifteen <laughs> months later. Um, <laughs> Uh, which, of course, brings me to the fact that, of course, Deb, you were born in, born in Toronto. Is that right? I was born and raised. I spent three years in Newfoundland. When you were young? In my early years. Yeah. Like how young? Uh, like uh, four, five, and six. Oh, so like super young. Super young. And then back to Toronto super after young. that. My dad was doing a job there. Um, so we lived in Corner Brook and Deer Lake. Mm-hmm. And I have lovely memories of it. I know it seems weird that I would have memories of that long ago, but I do. I loved it. Loved it. We took Kinley there for her 21st birthday because we said, you'll love it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like a weekend, she went, I could live here. So that's what it, It's pretty was. beguiling. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's certainly so dramatic yeah. and, and the people are so friendly yeah. and stuff. It's, it's wonderful. It's really and it's also very, yeah. very similar to uh, my wife, Shannon, loves the East Coast in general, but it's, she's also uh, makes the connection to Scotland. And it's very, very similar, like, yes. you know, Absolutely. geographically and, and also community wise. Yes. And, and of course, Colin, you're born in Scotland, uh, I think, or was it Kilmarnock? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yep. yeah, there you go. Um, not too far away from where we lived in Helensborough, but uh, certainly much more south and with it than we were. Um, not to the English. <laughs> I mean, the English still think you're a country <laughs> no, pumpkin, no. but that's okay. Um, I think what it would, it would have been fascinating to be in, because uh, when you came back uh, and you met in Second City in Toronto, um, it would have been a very exciting time, because that would have been about, like, what what year would that have been? Around like it was sort of in the eighties, eighty-seven, eighty-seven. I'd moved out just after Expo in uh, Vancouver. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, eighty-seven. Yeah, in the days when, other than Yuck Yucks, Second City was kind of the only game in town. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to book a reservation months in advance. Sold out touring company working six days a week. Corporates up the yin yang. Yeah, it was crazy. 
Many a yin yang was full. Yes. I remember in the late eighties. Yes, that's were up right. There. Yeah. Jam packed, jam packed. Um, but an exciting time. It was just sort of uh, as you you know you could there was you could tell that you, it was possible to be Canadian and successful as well at the same time. There was yeah. sort of demonstrated cases of that, and certainly uh, yeah. you guys demonstrated that. Uh, very, very well with all the stuff you've done. Um, so what's going to be, what are you aiming at? Are you aiming at more joint projects? Or are you aiming at uh, individual stuff now? I don't know. It's it's hard to get people um, um, really excited about a series with uh, two mature people. Uh, Is it? Yeah, we pitched. Yeah. Yeah. We pitched. Gosh, eight years ago. Yeah, when we were still fairly young. Yeah, and we were told, I won't say what network it is, you maybe can figure it out, but we were told. Its initials are CBC. (laughs) (laughs) We were told that uh, the next time, next time we pitch, we might consider if we're going to be in it, giving ourselves smaller secondary characters. Honest to God, that's maybe what I'm as Stuff ghosts, <laughs> <laughs> maybe as ghosts, <laughs> totally. So you don't have to be there every week. Oh yeah. So it's you know it's hard, and uh, you know would love would love to write something successful, but I mm-hmm. also um, can't write from a place of a uh, a person of color or a, yeah. a woman or yeah. Um, all I have are my things, which I don't think I I can't. I think of a way that would make that exciting to a, a public right now. And I hate writing anyway, so I'm not going to do it. Right. <laughs> but, right. Uh, you know, Deb's, Deb's a disciplined one. She does a lot of writing. She has a lot of ideas. She's uh, written a, a movie that's going to be uh, shooting in a couple of yeah, a couple weeks. That's very exciting. Yeah. A tribute to my father called oh, wow. Junior's Giant. Oh, wow. And our daughter... Our daughter is co-starring with Eric Peterson, who's playing my dad. Amazing. Even though, yes, I know what you're thinking. We're not that far in age, but the audience will think he's my dad. He looks way older, though, so that's okay. He looks tremendously older. And you know what? He loves when you tell him that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He, yeah, he just lights up. Yeah, so we're really excited about that. In that yeah. old, I'm too tired to really light up. Because we were t- we were talking before we we started talking um, about um, uh, dementia and how yeah. uh, how uh, obviously horrible it is, but how there are some uh, there can be amusing things. And yes. uh, Deb's father suffered from a particular kind of dementia called Lewy body, which is associated through Parkinson's. Same as my dad. And yeah. oh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the best. Uh, <laughs> The positive part about it was he never lost who we were. Right. Always knew um, the family. Nev- there was never any of that. And had these incredible hallucinations. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Incredible. I was going to call it Junior's Giant, One Man's Delightful Dimension. He saw ice cream men. Wow. Art galleries, hot air balloons. He had a giant with him uh-huh. and a little person with him. And all day long, he stor- sorted strings and sausages. That was his job. He went to work. But even a few days before he died, he could cite you chapter and verse of Shakespeare. Right. Uh, he knew everyone's names. But he'd say, oh, my son-in-law Colin's here. Colin is here, my daughter Deborah, and, of course, the giant. Right. Like he just had it. <laughs> and he had... Did, does your dad have a companion dog? 
No. Because it's very common with Louis body. Right. A lot of them have a companion dog. Like an, like an imaginary companion dog or a real companion dog? Imaginary. Imaginary. Imaginary, imaginary companion wow. dog. Yeah. Yeah. We took the courses at uh, the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto, and we learned so much about it. But he never lost us. He just added some folks and some inanimate objects. <laughs> It's phenomenal. It's it's uh, I, you know I remember taking philosophy in university and and the, one of the questions was uh, is about the human condition and they said uh, you know if you had the choice to uh, live life as a quote happy mental defective uh, would you take it and really the answer is yeah absolutely man if you could be happy and taken care of and you're happy that sounds amazing that's my view of like going through this with my my dad is that. It's uh, as long as he's happy. I don't care. I don't care what he's yeah. what he's saying. It doesn't it's mean. It doesn't matter. You know, it's obviously a very different conversation. And I wish he wasn't going through it, but at the same time, that's yes. fine. But no, he's never had a companion dog. He's from Glasgow, so it's just a it's a companion short guy with a limp, and he's drunk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a Glasgow okay. joke. Uh, my oh, family's okay. from Glasgow. I totally yeah. understand. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's interesting because I agree with you. What's terrible about any form of Alzheimer's or dementia is the beginning mm-hmm. when they know mm-hmm. something's wrong mm-hmm. and they're frightened. And my dad is, where are you taking me? Yeah. Well, Sobe's dad. Well, I don't, I don't think we're anywhere. I think, I don't know yes. where you think you are. That period was horrific. Yes. But once he was sorting his sausages and his strings, <laughs> yeah. I agree I agree. He was taken care of. He was loved. Yeah. He knew he was loved. Yes. Yeah. He had a purpose to get those strings. To get the yeah. strings and saucers in order. Exactly. I was reminding, I was reminding my mother yesterday because we were talking about the film and she was asking me questions, and I was reminding her that at one point, it was almost like my dad was going in my defense, Your Honor. He said, "I know your mother will laugh at the strings and think it's because of the dimension." Yes, that's what he called it—the dimension. Yeah. And my mom calls it the dimension too. I know she thinks it's because of the dimension, but I'm telling you, and my mother, your mother will back me up. I've been sorting these strings for 45 years, haven't I, Anne? And mom went. Yes, Junior. Yeah, of yes, course. You have. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, what do you? Yeah. There's, no, there's no point to being. You I'm know, there's, it's not a job. It's not. A, it's like who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's totally. I think fun. the dimension also happens when two goofies from different timelines <laughs> meet. That's that's <laughs> one of the dangers. The yeah, that's right. If you get yeah, it into absolutely. the frontier, frontier land yeah. and Tomorrowland mix, it's no, it's no yeah, good. Exactly. No, you don't want it. <laughs> the worst of all. Frontierland. That's what it was. Frontierland. Western land. <laughs> like I've never been to Disneyland. Know, as if. I know. It's okay. They're not hiring any of us anymore. We're all too old. It's fun. No. Oh my God. Just... Princess. I, oh, we went to this uh, thing in Disney. <laughs> where you put in, um, you know, your all your information, and they tell you, "Oh, this is your character," and you were like oh. Belle. I was, I was like, like, uh, um, no, Little Mermaid or something. Oh, like Ariel or, or something. Or Belle or one of the, yeah, Ariel, and our daughter was uh, something else. Lovely. I was Belle's father. <laughs> Secondary character, like, not we, that <laughs> integral to the story. No, the, the CBC hired me right away. We're laughing at this last week. Just the bitter Bell's father scenario. Well, because you get a picture. They, they print I mean, a, picture a picture for picture. you. Plus, so it's, it's not like a, you're all pretty, pretty. 
And it's not like an actual psychological assessment. They don't have to stay true to it. They can just pick one. Exactly. Oh, you're just Throw like, uh, yeah, yeah you're, you're Aladdin. That's what you are. You're, you know, you're, it's like, it could be anything. Yeah. And so why would they even put Bell's father <laughs> in the game? That does like, no fun. Like, sitting around going, some of our guests are going to want to be Bell's father. I'm yeah. telling you right now. Like oh, no you, you're the, you're man the was. one of the other toucans behind uh, Iago. <laughs> <laughs> Fleeting. Yeah. In for a moment. Oh, God. Blink and we'll miss you. <laughs> man. Oh, man. I've got, oh. uh, I've so enjoyed chatting. Oh. I've got two more questions for you before I, I let you go. Here's okay. the first oh, question. Right. Uh, the question is, uh, I want you to give me a really great tip. And it could be anything. Uh, I'll give you an example of uh, previous guest tips. So one tip was uh, by Richard Krauss. And he said, uh, if you want to get, if you want to juice a lime, you cut the lime in half, you get one of those, you know, clam shaped juicer type things. And then you cut a centimeter off the top of the other half, other side of the lime. So it's, you've cut it in half and you cut a little centimeter off and you squish it down and you get twice as much juice and you get all the oils as well. So that's one example oh, of a really oh. great tip. Another example would have oh. been uh, uh, Amber Mack, who said, um, uh, she said, uh, my tip would be uh, don't answer your emails right away. At least wait one day before you answer emails. Oh, that's a good tip, too. Oh. Yeah. So it could be that's anything. Yeah. So some a really great tip. You can have a shared tip or you can have your own Do tips. I wonder if my tip isn't something that everyone already knows. Oh, don't assume oh, that. Kevin Costner? Okay. <laughs> well, it just, no you know what? I probably have better ones, but this one just popped into my head. All right. Like a lot of us, I can get up to 50, 60 emails a day. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I used to flag them. Mm-hmm. Well, now I've got 580 flagged emails. <laughs> so what I do is I'll I'll do respect to the person who said wait a day. There are some people you have to respond sure. to, often in the personal department. Yeah. So what I do is I bring them all up. I bring <gasps> the emails up so they're up on my no. desktop. That's what I do. If I'm emailing you, Brack, Bram, bring it up. It's there, lined up in order, ready to answer. So then in the morning, after I read the newspaper and spend time writing copious amounts of letters to my various MPs, MPPs, <laughs> letter to the editors at the Star. Is this the what the show was about that you guys pitched? Is that what the, that might have been the problem? No. <laughs> no. But it's a true story. Colin says my biography should be called It's Come to My Attention, <laughs> and he's not wrong. And then I go on my laptop, yeah. and all those emails are there. Bam. And the sound of them going, shh, yeah. is almost as good as the Green Pea parking app. So that's my tip. <laughs> wow. Almost well, as satisfying. I, 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 I will accept that as a really great tip. Um, it sounds more like a condition, okay. but uh, it's, yeah. still, <laughs> it's still, still acceptable, though. Uh, yeah. I, I, do you have uh, one, Colin? I, uh, well, first of all, erase the email as soon as it comes in. <laughs> Problem Boom, solved. Problem solved. <laughs> um, this is one uh, for travelers. You know when you're in a hotel room, mm-hmm. and sometimes the curtain doesn't close mm-hmm. all the way. Yeah. And you get that streak of light that goes always right to the pillow or the bed. Mm-hmm. Go into the closet, get the um, hanger mm-hmm. that you would hang pants on with the little clips, yeah. and then clip 
the, the, the curtain, curtain together. together. That's clever. See, that sounds less Isn't psychotic it? than the email thing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought mine was very. Monica, it was very charming. Very don't early. listen to him. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to get his oh tried to get his wife to be a princess. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't understand the rules. <laughs> Okay, those, oh those are good. Those are good. I've got one last question. Okay. The last question is this. If you could go back to yourself one year ago from today, so not like when you're a kid or anything, but like just one year ago, what would you tell yourself? You appear out of the ether and you say to yourself, hey, listen, I'm, I'm you from a year from now. Do this. What would it be? Stop buying sweatpants. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's it. I bought more matching sweatpants outfits at the beginning of COVID. Uh-huh. You can shake a stick at. Mm. And yet, look at me, sitting in the sweatpants. But they, so I mean, you, you match. That's nice. I do. Yeah. yeah so. Uh, well, gee, a year? I guess a year ago, um, don't get excited. They're going to blow a 3-1 lead. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a true story. This is the year, though. This is the year. This, this is, is the year. year. This is the one. This is the year. Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. Go. Well, thank you both yeah. so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. And it's been an absolute thrill to uh, to chat with you both. I mean, you're both, uh, I admire and respect wonderful. both of you a tremendous amount. And you set the bar just Which high enough that more? I'll never, well, <laughs> just, <laughs> I'll DM one of you <laughs> afterwards. It doesn't matter. It's not a competition. Yeah. No, no. I, well, I think I was in the lead until the, the debacle of the uh, <laughs> lining tip? up the emails. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it easy to come. lose the lead in the show. It is. I'm the leaps of this interview. Totally the leaps of this interview. Way ahead until the end. <laughs> well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. The Really Great Podcast is fueled by our well-caffeinated friends at Club Coffee. Don't get too excited because there's no actual club to join. It's just a weird name. I don't know why they chose that name, but they did, and they're called Club Coffee. The good news is they make delicious compostable coffee pods. You can find it at retailers across Canada, like Loblaws, Amazon, and Costco. If you're not into coffee, sorry. Oh, and they're Canadian too, eh? Wow, what a conversation. Um, my face was like hurting from laughing afterwards. Well, try and try not to laugh because I'm trying to be cool, right? I'm trying to be like, hey, that's right. I try to make people laugh too. We both work in comedy, but I am nowhere near their level and they know it and they just make a meal of me and it's fantastic. So good. I really enjoyed today's conversation and I really hope you enjoyed it as well. And I hope to see you here next time for the next episode of Brittle Star's Really Great Podcast. See, the name delivered this week, didn't it? Uh, it delivers every week and you know it. 